me tell you, the evil spirits and the demons better watch out. Um, let me tell you, because there's about to be a whole group of you about to walk out of here saying, I surrender all. And you know what happens when a people who surrender all to the Lord, when they go out to the battlefield? Let me tell you, they win. Because we have the Lord by our side. And it's like, Lord, what are you going to do with a people who are absolutely surrendered, have surrendered all to you? God, use us and trust us. So I'm just saying they better watch out. Okay, I just had to get that out. Had to get that out. Okay, have any of you ever been blamed of, like, of having selective hearing? Anybody? Okay, all of you guys better raise your hand like right now. All of you. Okay, how about this? How many of you would consider yourself maybe like a gum-aholic? Like you just love gum so much. Okay, I'm with you in there. Okay, so keep these two things in mind because thanks to my grandma, every single Sunday I'd sit down, she'd pat me on the back and give me a piece of gum. Every Sunday. And I was like, okay, so I just began to love gum so much. And I still to this day in my kitchen like have this little jar only for gum. Like you got all kinds. And so if you come to my house, I promise you I have a piece of gum for you. So you need to have that in mind because when I was a kid, I would go to Walmart with my mom and, you know, I'd help her out and pick some stuff out. She's like, hey, go get this, go get this. I was like, all right, cool, tag team. You know, we could get out of there earlier. Nobody wants to be in Walmart for a long time. And so there's this one time where my mom is like, okay, Misael, I need you to get like three packages of noodles, some rice, and then some gum. And I was like, my eyes got really big because all that I heard was three packages and gum. That's all I heard. I was like, all right, I'm ready to go. So I go to this section and I, and I get the gum. Like, that's my favorite section in Walmart or like a convenience store. It's just like my favorite. And so I go there and I was like, oh yeah, three packages. Mm, 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 mm. So I go to my mom's like, hey mom, boom, did it. She's like, he said, that's not what I asked you to do. And I was like, oh, okay, what did you say then? And so she told me again. And I was like, oh my goodness. Like, I literally heard what I wanted to hear and I just went and did what I wanted to do. And so I say this because, man, honestly, like, I selfishly was just hearing what my mom was telling me. And, and really, this is important for us because as we think about it and as we look into the text this morning, we see that these selfish tendencies that we have and these selfish things that we think and we hear we want to hear honestly hinder us from hearing the clear gospel of Jesus Christ. Because we interpret it in such a way that's like only good for us and we do what we want and but that's, that's not it. So it's like, man, let's, let's make sure as we dive into the word that we are like aware of our selfish tendencies of how we read the word because, man, the gospel is this good news. This gospel has forgiveness and it has hope. And so this morning, I just hope that we are not like James and John where we let our selfish tendencies or our selfish thoughts creep in as we look at the gospel. And so if I, haven't able, if I wasn't able to say hi to you this morning, I think I know all of you in this room, but just in case, my name is Misael Gonzalez, and it's an honor for me to be one of the pastors here, uh, and it's really so cool to just open up the word uh, with you. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 10, Matthew chapter 10, and we're going to start in verse 32. And so before you get there, I want to just remind us that we're in this series called Resurrection Encounters, or in other words, Encuentros de Resurrección. And so we're looking at three different 
uh, instances where people just have this encounter with the Lord Jesus of like, okay, tell me what's going on, what's happening, and really they're encountering the resurrection because Jesus is the resurrection, and we're going to look at their responses as well. Like, how did they respond to these encounters with the Lord? So last week, we looked at Jesus and how he gave this hint. He gave a very big hint with this example of Jonah. And this Jonah who was swallowed up by a really big fish, and then he was spit out. And what it was doing is it was really giving us a foreshadow of how Jesus would die and then rise from the grave. So that's what we looked at last week. And and this week, we're going to look at this very, very, very clear encounter. Uh, that we have with Jesus, where he very clearly says, this is what's going to happen, and this is what I'm going to do. And so as we look at Mark chapter 10, verse 32, you need to keep in mind that this is the third time that Jesus has predicted his death and his resurrection. The first time was in Mark 8, verse 31, and this was just a very simple prediction, and this is where uh, he looked at Peter and said, hey, get behind me, Satan, because Peter is really mad that Jesus was saying what he was saying. And then the second time was in Mark 9, uh, verse 31, and, and in this prediction, Jesus gave actually more of a hint that he would be given in to the Jewish leaders and that uh, he would be betrayed. And again, the disciples were like, dude, I just don't understand And so here, Jesus is like, look, if you haven't understood by now, I'm just going to give you a very clear picture of what this is going to look like. And so as we read, uh, I want you just to get some text, the textual idea of what's happening here. And so to summarize a little bit what's happening in these verses is that as Jesus is walking to the place, which is Jerusalem, that he knows he will die, he clearly predicts his death and and his resurrection to his closest disciples. And so here's our sermon idea that I want you guys to write down as like the big thought for this morning. Selfish souls need a selfless Savior. Selfish souls need a selfless Savior. And so this morning, we're going to use three explanational points and three applicational points and maybe an occasional story to help us see what the Lord has for us this morning. And, and this morning, we're actually going to read the text bit by bit. We're not going to read it uh, all at the, at the very beginning just because there's so much. And it's like, okay, let's just go ahead and dive into it. So let's go ahead and start reading in verse 32. It says this, They were on their way to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and to the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand over him to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. So we're going to stop right there. What we see in these verses is that Jesus had a clear announcement. Jesus had a clear announcement. In verse 32, we see that Jesus was going on his way up to Jerusalem. Now, this is literally he was going up because Jerusalem sits about 3,500 feet above Jericho and the other surrounding towns. And so he literally was walking up. But it's also symbolic because he was going up to the high place where he was going to be crucified for the sins of all the world, that he was going to really suffer for all people. 
And so him going up is significant in that way, in the physical sense, but also in that symbolic sense. And look what it says. It says that Jesus was leading the way. A way that this could be interpreted is that Jesus wasn't going up to Jerusalem, dragging his feet like, oh my goodness, I have to go die for all these people. Like, that's not what he was doing. Have you ever seen a man on a mission where he's just like, man, I'm just ready to go. Like, come on, let's do this thing. That's exactly how Jesus was walking up to Jerusalem. He was a man on a mission going to the cross, leading the way. And I don't know if you've ever seen someone like walk that way, but that's exactly why it says that the disciples were astonished and that the people that were following him were afraid. They're like, oh my goodness. Like this guy is walking with a mission in mind. He's walking knowing like, yeah, I'm going to my death and I'm going to lead the way, so come follow me. Which isn't that an incredible depiction of discipleship? Hey, come follow me. Or Jesus is like, man, if you want to follow me out of the grave, come follow me into the grave. If you want to follow me for the afterlife, come follow me right now in my suffering. And so that's what Jesus is doing. He's not dragging his feet. He's just going, a man on a mission to his own death, and he's walking with determination. He's walking with confidence, saying, man, let's do this thing. And so then you see him pull aside the twelve. So he said he took the 12 aside and he told them what's exactly what's going to happen. You see, I find this so fascinating because Jesus always pulled the disciples together and said, okay, guys, here's what's going on. And they just didn't understand and didn't understand. And I think it's so cool that we get that inside scoop as well. We get that inside look of saying, okay, Jesus, what did, exactly did you say? Because he right here in the following verses was saying, this is exactly where we're going and this is exactly why. And I'm telling you even a couple of details of what will happen. He's being very, very nice about it. In sports terms, he was giving them a play-by-play. He's like, here's exactly what's going on. And, and think about this. Judas was in that little meeting. So Judas, is, he is literally hearing everything that's about to happen. And then he's the one who gives Jesus over to the chief priests. And so all of this is going on. And and so I just want to read this, what Jesus says just one more time. He says, we are going to Jerusalem, just in case you forgot. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priest and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. This is so, so clear. And then some of you might be asking, okay, son of man, what does that even mean? Like, what does it mean when Jesus says son of man? Like, what is, like why is he calling himself the son of man? Well, really, this title, son of man, has a lot to do with Jesus saying, I'm the Messiah. I'm the, I'm the Messiah. I'm the son of man. If you look at Daniel chapter 7, starting in verse 13, this is what it says. It's a vision that Daniel had from the Lord. It says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, the clouds of heaven there came on like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, all nations, all languages should serve him. His dominion, dominion is everlasting, which shall not pass away. And his kingdom one that shall never be destroyed. This is the Son of Man. And Jesus is saying, I'm that promised Messiah. I'm that one coming in the clouds. That is what he's saying. And, and again, these verses are so clear of what will happen to Jesus because if you keep reading, those things that he lists out are exactly what happens. 
And so we see all this, and you're like, okay, Misael, what is an application I can get from this? Like, I'm getting all this information, but how do I apply it? Well, man, we must recognize our prize. That's the applicational point in these verses. We must recognize our prize. You see, we are selfish people. And selfishly, we think that we are the prize. Or sometimes we think that heaven is the prize. A prize that we deserve, a prize that is owed to us. But in reality, Jesus is the prize. God himself is the prize. And and if that's the case, can I just ask you a question? And, And I want you to write this down too. Are you enjoying your relationship with the Lord? If Jesus is your prize, are you enjoying your relationship with the Lord's Lord? Because when we recognize that Jesus is our greatest prize, man, like that doesn't mean that we have won Jesus. That doesn't mean that we have earned Jesus. What it means is that Jesus is our prized person. He's our prized relationship. He's our prized possession. It's like, Jesus, I want to be with you. I want to enjoy this relationship with you because, man, when you walk with me, supernatural things are going to happen because the spirit of the Lord is with me. You know what I find amazing is is maybe some of you have, have felt this. I've definitely felt this. When you're like in the shower and, and you're like standing there, honestly trying to get away from the world, trying to get away from your problems, trying to get away from the tiredness, trying to get away from everybody, and you're just sitting there and you're just like, man, I'm really not even that good. I'm not good enough. Like I am just so tired. And I'm so tired of, of not being good. I'm so tired of not thinking highly of myself. And, and really, it's this moment, even in the shower, where you're like, I don't even want to be with myself. You know what's amazing? It's amazing that in those moments where we don't want to be with ourselves, Jesus says, yeah, but I want to be with you. He's like, I want to be with you even when you don't want to be with yourself. I want to love you even when you don't want to love yourself or when other people don't love you. I want to walk with you even in those moments where you don't even want to walk. I want to be with you even in those moments where you feel lonely. Like, I want to sit there with you. Jesus is our prize. He's our prized possession, our prized relationship. And he's the one that is worthy, and that's what we're about to see. So not only is Jesus given us a clear announcement of who he is, the son of man, the one who will die and rise from the grave, but Jesus also had a clear assignment. He had a clear assignment. And we'll read in verse 35, it says, Then James and John, the son of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He said, they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? We can, they said. Jesus said to them, well, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism, uh, with the baptism, but to sit on my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. 
Again, these verses just demonstrate that Jesus had a clear assignment, that he was here for a purpose. And, you know, I almost want to ask the disciples like James and John, like, how in the world did you guys get to this conclusion? Like, how in the world, like, what conversation did you guys have to say, hey, man, let's ask Jesus who can sit on the right and left, man, that'd be so cool. I just want to, I just like, who said that was a great idea? I just, I just want to know. Because these guys uh, in the past were called the, the sons of thunder. And what was so funny is that in this question, they asked a question that would benefit them more than the kingdom. It would benefit them more than the kingdom. And it was a selfish ask. And I just can't imagine myself going up to, to Jesus in this moment where he just told me exactly what, what he's going to do and say, hey, do for us what we want. And Jesus is like, okay. And here's what's interesting. Jesus gives them a very gracious response. He says, okay, what do you want me to do for you? Now, if you're in your Bibles and you look just a little bit down, you're going to see this little label maybe. It's in verse 46 that says, blind Bartimaeus receives his sight. Okay, we actually preached on this a while back. And Jesus gives the same response to the disciples as he does Bartimaeus. So to the disciples, he goes, okay, what do you want? And they say, man, I want to sit on the throne like next to you. And to blind Bartimaeus, he goes, Bartimaeus, what do you want? He goes, man, I just want to see. I want to have faith in you. Just give me some faith. And here's really interesting. The disciples were asking for fame. And Bartimaeus was asking for faith. And it's like, the disciples who were closest to him were wanting fame. They were wanting their own throne, their own kingdom. And this blind guy who nobody wanted to talk to is asking for faith? Man, at that moment, I want to be like blind Bartimaeus who's like, Lord, like, I don't care to be famous because that's you, so just give me some faith. Give me some faith to walk in that. Next, we'll see that Jesus is talking about this cup and this baptism. Now, this can get a little confusing, so I definitely want to explain it a little bit. This cup that Jesus is talking about, sometimes in the Old Testament, you can see that this cup symbolizes joyfulness or, or something of prosperity. But more times than not, it talks about this cup of judgment, this cup of wrath, this cup of death. The baptism, it signifies, well, really, you won't actually see the word baptism in the Old Testament at all. But you, what you will see is this, this thought and this illusion of immersion or being submerged. And what Jesus is saying when it, call, when it comes to this baptism is that I was immersed by pain. I was immersed by hurt. I was immersed by trouble. I was immersed by tragedy. I was immersed by destruction. I was immersed by the wrath of God. And that's what Jesus is talking about, that the cup and the baptism has everything to do with suffering with hurting, with pain. And Jesus is like, dude, this is the cup and this is the baptism. I don't think you guys can handle it. And they're like, yeah, we can. And it's like, okay, I don't think you know what you're asking for. <laughs> what you're saying is that you want to take the cup. And Jesus says, okay, you'll take the cup. That means you'll die. Jesus says, okay, you'll, you'll be baptized. It's not a Christian baptism, but again, it's this immersion of pain and suffering. Okay, you'll be baptized in all that. You're going to die. But Jesus is saying, I have an assignment that you can't do. And that assignment is that I can drink the cup and I can be baptized, but I'm the only one who can survive it. I'm the only one who can do that, but also rise from the grave. And, and really, without me, you can't do that. 
And so some of you might be asking, okay, Misad, like, but why is there a cup and why is there a baptism of God's wrath? Well, let me tell you, sin is very serious. Sin is so serious that it has to have a consequence. It has to have a punishment. And that's why God has this cup of wrath and, and this baptism because there has to be a punishment for sin. Just as if, if you're a parent or if you're a son, like if, so, if you do something bad, there has to be that consequence. Why? Because there's right and there's wrong. And God is all right and he's all perfect. Man, and he cannot be in that presence of imperfection and, and evil. And so that's why there are these cups. And, and this is what I find fascinating is that Jesus says these places belong to those whom they have been prepared, meaning that Jesus, since eternity past, his plan has always been to come down to our filth and to make the sacrifice for us. It's like, man, Lord, thank you for what you've done. And, and what we're going to see next is like this whole upside-down kingdom. And so we'll get to that in here just a little bit. And so an application of all of this that we've just seen is that we must recognize our place. So not only do we recognize our prize, but we recognize our place. And unlike the disciples, our place is not on the throne. Because there's only one who is worthy to sit on the throne. There's only one who's worthy to open up the scrolls in which Revelation talks about. And our place is at the feet of Jesus. It is at the feet of Jesus. That's where we find our place. And I just find it absolutely amazing. Like, Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you that you are sitting on your throne and you don't move. That is absolutely amazing to me. And, and when I think about my place at the feet of Jesus, that means my place is in complete surrender. My place is under the lordship and kingship of Jesus because he's a good king. He's a good shepherd. Man, he is an amazing God. And, and man, he's going to shepherd our hearts, our families, our minds. And, and let me tell you, because he's such a good king, can I just ask you, like, are you really tired of life? Like, are you really hurt in life? Are you, are you worried all the time? Are you anxious all the time? Are you trying to fix things all the time? And do you just want to give up sometimes? Do you just want to absolutely give up? Because you're not alone if that's the case. Let me give you some biblical encouragement if you want to give up. If you are wanting to give up, here's my encouragement to you. Give up give up. Stop trying to do it on your own. Stop trying to take the steps on your own. Give up and let God literally reside in his rightful place in your life. Let him be the one that sits on the throne of your life. Man, because that is where he is worthy to be. That's where he deserves to be. You see, we talked about how sin is, is a big, big deal. And sin is selfishness, and selfishness is sin, and the consequence of sin and selfishness and all these things and disobedience to God is death. It is absolute death. And, and you might be saying, okay, Misad, like, hold up. Like, why, why is my place with God surrendering to his feet? Why, why is the consequence of, of sin death? Well, again, sin is a serious deal. And the thing is that God is a powerful creator, a powerful sustainer, a powerful redeemer. And the thing is, is that Jesus is the only way. And you're like, okay, well, who's this Jesus guy? Well, first of all, Jesus is not just a guy. 
okay? <laughs> he's fully, fully God and fully, fully human. And, and he is the only way that we could have forgiveness and be made new. And, and man, because sin is such a big problem, we need a really, really big solution. And that's Jesus. Because he is the only one that has a solution. He's the only one that has the cure to the disease of sin. And so, at, to end, Jesus saves, but we must create spaces and places for people to encounter him. That's why this is so important. That's why we are encouraging guys to host a circle, to host someone in your home, to eat, even if it's just like baloney. Because it's in these moments that we're together that we create spaces and places for those who don't know the Lord to know the Lord. Because he is our prize and we understand our place. And so the next thing that we're going to see is that Jesus had a clear approach. Jesus had a clear approach. And this is starting in verse 41. So look at verse 41 with me. It says, when the ten heard this, everything that Jesus said, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, the promised Messiah, did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Man, Jesus had a clear approach. In these first couple of verses, you see that the other disciples got really, really annoyed. They probably got annoyed because they're like, man, I wanted to ask that question. But they got annoyed of this position that maybe these disciples would have. But Jesus took this moment, these questions and these remarks from the other disciples to say, no, you know what? We're going to have a teaching time and I'm going to show you guys how you are to walk in humility and how you to follow my example of humility. And Jesus makes it clear that he's the one. And, and he also makes it clear that the Gentiles lord it over other people. And some of those examples of Gentiles that have done that is King Nebuchadnezzar, King Caesar, who these guys thought that they were their own God. And so they made people do all these things. And they're like, yeah, look at me, make statues of me, when they were really disobeying the Lord. He's like, that's not how this kingdom works. That's not how the kingdom of God works. Because if you aspire for greatness, if you try to aspire to all these places of greatness, there's a huge danger to become like these Gentile rulers with a big head of trying to just make everyone do what you want to say, make everyone do what you want to do. But in reality, this was Jesus' approach. Jesus' approach was one of a servant rather than one of a soldier. And the reason there's a huge difference in that is because Jesus says, I came to serve you, to give my life for you, not for you to give your life for me. I'm not gonna hold a sword to your throat. Man, I'll take the sword for you. Jesus came as a servant and, and not a soldier. And, and there is this upside down kingdom because that just doesn't make sense for us sometimes. Because for us, we think that aspiring for greatness or for being at the top means, man, good luck, man. I'm going to cut you and I'm going to get to the top. But the way that Jesus got to the top was by surrendering himself. 
He says to be first, you have to be last. Give of yourself. Give of yourself as I have given for you. And there is no room to boast of ourselves. And if you're going to boast in anything, can I just encourage you this? If you're going to boast in anything, boast in the cross. Because without the cross, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. There is none. So let us boast in him and boast in the cross. And because he's the one we can boast in, there's no room for pride in ourselves. And so that's our application in these next couple of verses is that we must recognize our pride. We must recognize our pride. You see, we can get really prideful about a lot of things. Like our Wednesday nights here are popping, absolutely popping. And it's going incredible. And the Lord is doing so many things. And you know what? We could have pride in that. But a couple Wednesdays ago, uh, there was a church member who came in Wednesday night and was just destroyed. And it was like, man, he said, like, this is going on in my family and uh, I need to go to my family. And in that moment, I, I had to be led by the spirit because I was like, man, like there's a lot of going on here on Wednesday. Like, I don't know if I can leave. But the spirit was like, no, man, you gotta go. You gotta go. Let go of whatever pride you might have of being here and go because that's where you need to be. I'm telling you right now that you guys go to a church. You guys have pastors. That if something were to happen in your family right now as an emergency, I would either like step off the stage and go with you or I would like point one of our pastors go with you or I would say, you know what, how about all of us go? Because what is, like, the application of the, of the gospel is so powerful. And so I need to let go of the pride and, and, and let God do something in my life and lead me. Because if Jesus had enough humility to leave heaven and come to earth, man, I should probably have enough humility to help out around the house. I should probably have enough humility to change a diaper. I should probably have enough humility to clean my room. I should probably have enough humility to listen to my parents. I should probably have enough humility to listen to my kids. If Jesus had enough humility to leave what you could quote unquote say his comfort zone, man, how much more humility? It's just like he's the example of that. And so I just... just something in me that I've seen in myself and other people it's like when did we ever think it was biblical to live in pride like when was it ever biblical to live in pride of of just numbers and and events and people and I just I just want to encourage us to, to not be so prideful in anything else but the Lord because I want to be so prideful of the Lord that he's like the person I talk about. I want to spend more time about boasting in the Lord rather than boasting in my family, in my country, in my success, in my this, and my that. And what would the Lord do with people completely surrendered and completely boasting in him? You see, without ever changing the why, because of that, I think we must be willing to change maybe even the how and the when 
of what we do as a church to bring people to the feet of Jesus. You see, our mission statement and our vision really is to love all people to Christ. And man, if if I need to change my attitude to love all people to Christ, I'm going to do it. If I need to change our signage, if we need to change our signage to love all people to Christ and lead them to the feet of the Lord, we're going to do it. Man, if we have to change some aspects of our music to love all people to Christ and lead them to the feet of Jesus, we're going to do it. Man, if, if, if we need to change our service times that we meet in to love all people to Christ and to bring them to the feet of Jesus, we're going to change our service times because it is in him in which we boast. And so I want to read this for you. Peter reminds us of this. In 1 Peter 1, starting in verse 18, it says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed or ransomed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. But the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. And so here's my final question to you. What do you need to give up? Or what do we need to give up for the sake of the gospel? What do we need to give up for the sake of the gospel, for the sake for other people to hear about the forgiveness and the hope and the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ? Because he is worthy of it all. And our selfish souls, and this world's selfish souls, needs a selfless Savior. Let's pray. Lord, I pray in this moment that you continue to work in the lives of our people. Lord, that we would apply the gospel to every aspect of our life. Lord, because you are so selfless and we need to to walk in your example. Lord, your word tells us we are to be servants. So help us do that. And Lord, right now I know that you are working in people's lives and I pray that the truth of the gospel would lead them to repentance, that they would repent of their selfishness, that they would repent of their sins, that they would turn away, that they would walk away from all the evil, all the bad, all the sin, and that they would turn to you for forgiveness and for hope and for love and for peace. Lord, I pray that in this moment they would take a time to just believe and confess in you as Lord and as Savior. And for the believers in the room, Lord, I pray that they would take a time to say, Lord, forgive me, for I have not applied the gospel in every aspect of my life. Forgive me for having selective hearing. Lord, I praise you for your word and I praise you for what you're doing. May our hearts be so in tune with you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.